Thank you to our uh, worship team, as well as Chris and Brittany and Ben being our worship leaders this morning, pointing us to our God. Every time we gather for worship, um, part of our desire would be that, that each one of us would say, I want that God. I want the God of the scriptures. I want the living God. I want the, the living God who is moving and dwelling among us. I want him. We're going to um, do our second message in our August practice and practicing the withness and way of Jesus. Um, And we would just call it community, but I do feel like there's such a, you only get out of something what you put into it. So we want to make sure to have the action, the investment that we can have. We can't force it. We can't create it. We say we can't manufacture community. Even what maybe you're experiencing today, we can't manufacture that but we can sure try to cultivate it. And particularly, that's going to happen when we move toward God in devoted ways and we move toward one another. And that's what Dr. Luke in the book of Acts, if you want to turn there, we're going to actually read together in a moment from the screen so that we're in unison. But if you have a copy of God's Word and you want to turn to Acts 2, um, you can get there. This is kind of our base camp um, to steal our student ministries Wednesday night. They call it base camp. It's kind of a let's get together, now let's go out on our expeditions. Um, Acts 2.41 or 2.42 through 47. It's one of several summary statements from Dr. Luke in the book of Acts as he traces the work of Jesus through his church. Jesus is no longer visible, but he can be uh, visible and known through his people. He says specifically, as you love one another, they'll know You are my disciples when you have that kind of love for one another, just as I have loved you. And we uh, saw last week that they had devoted rhythms. We'll read about them in just a second. Today, we're going to see that community getting beneath the surface with each other, but particularly beyond the borders of their community to reach out as Christ's ambassadors sent by him as his witnesses. Why did they live with such devotion? What did they do on a day-to-day basis? And where and how did they, I'm going to use a verb form, ambassadorize? Just like uh, Ben or the Trevathans, all of us, if we are in Christ, we are his ambassadors. An ambassador has a good understanding that this place is not my home. I have, I've been deployed, and where I live, I don't live as a tourist, going, well, which, which bakery do I want to go to in Paris today? No, I'm I'm there with the eyes of an ambassador. How do I represent the home country and the home country's message in this place? And so if, if, if you don't hear anything else, hear that. Do I wake up tomorrow on Monday and think, how do I live as deployed as your ambassador today, Lord? And where and how would that happen? So we're going to look again at Acts 2 to get that, that, the bearings, and then we're actually going to spill into Acts 3. We won't have time to do much with it, um, but... I want us to see and hear how the early church's day-to-day attitudes and activities made them a contagious community of welcomers and witnesses with an infectious message, the message of the gospel. I'm not going to make you stand. You've been standing and sitting and standing and sitting, so I'm going to let you sit. Um, But I want us to read this out loud together. This is Luke's account um, from Acts 2, so read with me. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thank you. Well, where we're going to um, launch from today is just verses 46 and 47. If you could go back uh, one slide there, William. It says, day by day, as we're looking, where and how did they ambassadorize on a day-by-day basis? Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So that's where. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we see is that they're being his witnesses, is what Luke begins his recording of Acts. In Acts 1.8, we won't look at it right this second. But they know that they are sent to be his witnesses, and as we're using the language, as an ambassador to go and represent the one that we represent and his interest and advancing his interest in the place where he has put them. Where did they go? Well, they were Christ's ambassadors, and I believe there's a slide. They were Christ's ambassadors at temple and table. They had a day-by-day witness and welcome as a single-minded community. Here's what I want to tell you really quick. I'm aware of the clock. We're going to squeeze this puppy in, all right? They're a single-minded community. Why do I point that out? Well, over and over again in this short passage we just read, together, in common, together, in common, with one mind. We saw before um, the Spirit came in Acts 2, in Acts 1, they were waiting and praying, and it says they were devoting themselves to prayer with one mind. They had a single-minded community. Focus. They understood why we exist as a community. They were united in that purpose. And so when it says they were with um, one mind, literally, I, I explained this last week, but literally you could translate that with one impulse. Elsewhere, that word is used negatively of like rage, of fierceness, of attacking. But... We always translate by context, and in this context, it's also a sense of united purpose. That there was an impulse, a throb, that they all knew we are commissioned as a community to go about the Father's business, the kingdom business. We are a commissioned community, and so they were aligned with those purposes. We, and if if we don't we don't have a good grasp on it, this is your next step. We ought to grow in understanding our why. Notice I'm saying our. You and I individually need to dial into what is our purpose, 
what is our commission, but it is a shared one. It's never solo. It's never alone. We should understand and then go with one impulse as his commissioned community. Every church, I said it earlier, should have love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. But the question is, are we aligning and continually realigning? Just like your car, when it starts pulling, you got to get it aligned. And that's why they had these devoted activities to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. We're going to keep going through those so that they could continually be aligned. And they were devoted in this day-by-day rhythm of frequenting the temple. But here's what I want to perhaps adjust, because we have some categories here that I think will put us in the wrong spot. I think most of us hear temple, and we put an equal sign and say, that's church. Why were they at temple? This is probably will change your categories a bit. Why were they frequenting the temple? Since they're now part of this new community of believers in Jesus, yes, most of them, many of them at this time, were Jewish in their heritage and roots, but now they worshiped one who those in the temple still are rejecting. Why would they be at temple? It's not to... um, Go through the rhythms of Jewish worship. It's not to, well, I'm just doing what granddad did. They're actually in the temple, most likely in the outer temple courts, where you would have had Jews and Gentiles to evangelize. What do I mean by evangelize? I didn't even know what that word meant until uh, a, a guy at a liberal church I interned with for a year. First day, he said, hey, welcome to your job. You're an evangelical. I'm not. I'm like, I don't know what that means. What it means is, Evangelion is a victory message. It's good news of a victory that has been fought on your behalf and won, and you come back to the city to say, everything's good, we've taken care of the problem. And the gospel is good news to all of us who are in need of a Savior, in need of redemption, in need of forgiveness for our sins. And he paid that price. He bought, uh, he bought us with a price, and he won the victory. And so now we live from that victory. And so they were there, devoted to Jesus, but they're still learning. What is this new relationship? But they're wanting to go back to their Jewish brothers and sisters and say, let me tell you about the one that we rejected a few days ago or weeks ago. We put him on a cross. Here's where we missed it. We need to repent and turn back. So where were they? They were at temple. Uh, Again, not just in temple to do what grandpa or grandma did, but to witness to their fellow Jews about Jesus, the promised Messiah and risen Lord, and also daily at table from house to house, meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And so they were sharing their stories of grace, sharing how God captured their heart, how this makes no, you know, makes no sense if if I just try to put A plus B equals C And yet I see where God did a powerful work and he pursued me and he brought me into relationship with himself. And so they're sharing their stories of grace and it's an energizing fellowship. They become this contagious community. As we shared last week, uh, people who would have been watching and observing how they just kept getting together and kept getting together and kept getting together. They're having one another over to their homes. They're, They're meeting in the temple courts. They're inviting other neighbors to their house and breaking bread, and they're like, what is going on? Because remember, we, we read in here, 
3,000 came to Christ on the day of Pentecost. There were 120 believers. 3,000 came to faith. And the birth of the church is like the greatest problem ever, but it is a problem. You have 3,120-ish who are now part of the church. Where in the world do we get together? Uh, do we even have a clue what, who we really are? What, what is this following Jesus? They're trying to piece it all together. But they did share meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They kept devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, and to this fellowship. We're going to camp, we're going to dive deeper into the fellowship next week. But it did cause people to say, what is going on with those people? And we get all like bent out of shape of like, how do we reach this? And how can we get our message right so we can convince a bunch of people the greatest apologetic for the gospel is when we love one another. When we are sacrificial for one another. When we know of a need and we meet a need. When we make a welcome. When we make room or invite to our table. And so it was at temple and table that they were regularly getting together. Uh, Luke has lots of references in his gospel and in Acts of being at table because he wants us to see that there's something Powerful And God works powerfully at the table where you linger, where you share a meal, where you're not in a rush, where you're not going to the next thing, where you're present, and particularly where we are present with those because we've made a welcome for them. They're lonely, or they're isolated, or they're in a really uh, a place of, of, of hurt, of unraveling, and we simply say, hey, why don't you come over and have a burger with us? And we invite them to table. They're witnessing in the temple, they're witnessing at the table, but they're also welcoming one another and others in, at their tables. I want you to note this. If you go through the book of Acts, the majority of the activities of the church, which is the people, not the building, happens outside of what we might think is the church. It happens in the marketplaces. Yes, it happens in the temple, but in the outer courts most of the time. It happens when traveling. It happens when um, Paul is on trial or there's other government things going on. You know, maybe when some paperwork's getting filled out. The, the church is active and devotedly active most of the time outside of the place we might call the church. Because the church is the people, not the building. And it's a people devoted to one another as an expression of our devotion and love for God. Well, what were the results? They, had, uh, they were praising God. They had favor with all the people. Again, the contagion. The Lord is adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we're going to get a picture of one of those days at temple. And again, it'll have to be um, a quicker um, picture. But it was one of those never forget this day. Like if you're going to temple, if we were going to temple as, as, a, as a Jewish brother or sister, as a family, we'll never forget this day at the temple. It's in Acts 3. You can just spill over to the next uh, chapter right after verse 47. Because again, 41 to 47 is kind of a summary of lots of weeks and months perhaps. But now we're going to go live into the scene. And Luke wants to invite us in any of these 
not to say, hey, there's a great museum relic. Let's look at that. Isn't that awesome? No, he wants us to embed, he's inviting us to embed ourselves in it and say, what could it look like if we would be so devoted to God and to his truth and to one another that he might enable us, empower us to be his witnesses and his welcomers? It was one of those never forget days, and sorry for the pun, but it was that day when Temple wasn't so lame. The reason why that's a pun is because the main man in the story is a lame man. So look with me. Uh, it'll be on the slides because I want, just, I want us to see they're, they're going to witness Christ's power. And then Peter, we're not going to have time to go through it, but Peter then, after the healing takes place, then Peter will witness to Christ's person because the power was evidence of the one who's behind that power, the one who has the authority because he heals in the name of Jesus. So chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. So he got somebody to place him there every day. We don't know where the Beautiful Gate is, but it's definitely on the way to temple. He probably picked a high-traffic area. That's a good, that's wise and strategic. But he's been there, we're told in Acts 4, if you flip over to the end, you don't have to, that he's actually been lame from birth and he's over 40 years old. So this man has never walked, has never had the use of his limbs in that way. And he's there, if you will, crumpled in a pile. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now, it's about to be really exposing. If he doesn't walk, then Peter's a sham, and this whole deal, see? At least feel that tension for a second. Just like when, when Jesus healed the paralytic lower down, Mark 2, and he said, your sins are forgiven, they get all upset, and he's like, well, which is easier? You don't know if his sins are forgiven or not. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I tell you, get up and walk, take up your pallet. And he does. That's the same kind of moment. And now Jesus, not visible, but present through his Spirit, enables and empowers Peter to say, in the name of Jesus, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, I want to make a couple of quick observations. I want you to notice that this, uh, this man did not get encouragement and medicines and, hey, I know a good physical therapist. Um, that's not bad. And God often heals in that way. And that still uh, expresses and shows and displays God's power and care. But this time, in this particular occasion, I want to make sure you hear this, particularly on this time, 
there's a real good reason why God enables this to happen and why we shouldn't say, see, this should happen every time we turn around. No. This time, God gave the apostles the authority to heal him in the name of Jesus. This man who had never done anything with his feet or legs was immediately healed. He'd never supported his own weight or taken steps. He was instantaneously healed and walking and leaping. He wasn't like a brand new deer baby, right? Also, I want you to take note that because of this man's condition, he was stigmatized. People wondering to themselves as they walked by, but probably at a distance, I wonder what sin this man committed or his parents committed. He was ostracized. He never felt a welcome. Never being allowed to belong. Kept on the outside of community. Crumpled in a pile. The only thing people took note of was his sad spot at the beautiful gate day after day, causing them enough discomfort that they just wanted to ignore him. Put yourself in his feet right now. And that's been your life for over 40 years. But I want to point this out, that Peter and John do something. They do something that we shouldn't walk around going, hey, I can do this in the name of Jesus' walk. But here's something that they do that's just as powerful, and particularly just as powerful for this man before they heal him. It says that Peter and John gaze at him They lock eyes with him. They stop. They take notice. And they said to him, look at us. This is not a condemning or demanding. Hey, you look at us. No, it's it's, look at us. He probably learned to avert his gaze also because he saw so many people doing that. It's too painful to try to lock eyes and no one ever gives you their eyes, their notice. It's a powerful moment. It's for sure making this man's most powerful moment in his life, but I want to tell you, I don't know if it's equal with getting up and walking immediately. That's pretty God thing there. But that gaze, that notice, that pausing, that slowing down, To him, it's soul-repairing and restoring. And then his body is restored. And they don't do it in a condemning way. Look at us. They simply pause, look him in the eye, and they're communicating dignity. And they're communicating, you're important to us to stop. How many times a day do you think this man crumpled in a pile had people actually make eye contact with him? Luke doesn't tell us, but we know in his culture he would have been shunned, ignored, canceled. How would we likely look at him? If our commute to temple, including passing by his spot, would I, would you have likely seen him from far away and start making our drift over? Would you or I have looked away and passed on the other side of the road? I ask this because the way we'll end our message today is we're going to ask ourselves, what can we do to represent Christ to a hostile, hurting, and lonely world that isn't just out there, it's next door?
It's in your apartment complex. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your school hallway. It's in your school tables. Wherever and however God calls us to be his witnesses, his welcomers, it's going to involve your person, extrovert or introvert, great, you know, with people, not so great with people, smart, kind of not so smart. It's going to involve your person with a person. One of the biggest things in this moment is they're looking at him with dignity that says you're a person. And as well-fed as we are out here in the suburbs, we are starving to be seen by anybody. Not just people out there, even in this room. Even the well put together. That's always a progression in Scripture, in fact. The, The Good Samaritan parable. Two, the, the priest and the JV priest saw the man who was in a pile also and moved over to the other side and walked. Now, they may have legitimate reasons, but then it was the Samaritan, the guy you would never think. Like, what's going on with these people? That question is still there. What's going on with this guy? He's an outsider. He's, it says he saw him and he felt compassion. And he moved toward him. And then he bandaged him up and even took, took him to the inn and he moved toward him and he showed mercy. That's always the progression in Scripture. You say, man, I want to make a difference in my life. I want to make a difference for Christ. I'd say, be devoted here. Love one another. And wherever you are, allow God to open your eyes and see the people right in front of you. You will never lack for ministry if you see people. And you can see them with your eyeballs, but I mean see and ask God to help you see. I wonder what their story is. And you don't have to see everybody and move in toward everybody, but you can start with one person. And again, they might not be crumpled in a pile, but they may be under the pile at work. Their marriage may be uh, severing. They may be socially awkward and have nobody who would give them the time of day or their eyes. Well, I told you that Peter did that. He did it uh, in the name of Jesus because Luke is very careful in his gospel and here as well to let us know that it's not the miracle or the, 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 the powerful thing that happened that's what's most important. It's I did that to authenticate my messenger so that you can hear my message. And we don't have time to go through it, but 11 through 26 is Peter saying, hey, let me explain something to you. This man is healed because of the name of Jesus. That means the character and power of the one who can do this at any time and anywhere. And we are witnesses of his resurrection. And we as a Jewish people, that's what he explains. He's the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the one that he promised he would send. And we hung him on the cross, but he rose from the dead. So healing a lame man who's been lame for 40 years is nothing when you've risen from the dead. And so it's authenticating the message. And it's the same message we have. And I would say particularly strong, as Jesus said, when you have love for one another, they'll know you're my disciples. When you take notice of someone who's crumpled in a pile or put together but empty inside, 
It's the power of Christ in you, transforming your ability to see them and then to feel compassion, not brush it off, move toward them and show mercy, which just means, how can I be available to you? It may not mean empty your wallet. It may mean, I just want to listen to you. I just want to know your story. I want to know you. If you'll uh, put up the our day-to-day rhythms, this is how we're going to end um, today, just going through this. Um, the main thing I wanted you guys to hear today was what God's doing through the next generation, among the next generation, in the nations, and with Chris and Brittany and their family. And I also wanted you to hear, I was glad that they wanted to share. It's not easy. And there's going to be a lot that can knock us off kilter. And we need one another to realign and realign and realign. But our day-to-day witness and welcome, you're going to hear, today you're hearing witness and welcome. You'll hear more spillover uh, next week. But I think witness, welcome, and worship as they devote themselves to apostles' teaching, but also praising God and the prayers and breaking of bread. We're going to look at the worship of the church, but particularly as a leadership, we're going, hey, we're generally, you know, we got good intentions and we're genuine people, but boy, we could sure tighten up some things around here. And we could sure step up our game here in terms of our witness, our welcome, and our worship. And, that, and, and we're looking at, you know, what, what, are there some, even some systems so we can sustain a better welcome? Some of you got welcome really well, and some of you are like, I don't, nobody talked to me for like weeks. Thank you for your patience. But our witness and welcome, we, we desire to grow in that as a church. And like I said, we're starving in the suburbs. People are starving for us as a community, not us specifically, but us as a community to love one another and to say, hey, I'd love to know you. You're welcome here. Um, and as our witnesses, we are his witnesses, the Spirit will give us the power to discern the moment, to, to have a word, to say no words to listen. As his ambassadors, this slide, if you'll throw that up, as his ambassadors, it's not will you and I witness and welcome, but where will you? And how will you? And I would include, and how will we? Where are ways that we can traffic together? Some of you have the same kids at the same elementary school. I know years ago, um, Jenny had a moms and prayer group at Reed Elementary. It's just simply to say, we want to pray for and then be on the lookout for God. Does he open opportunities? Does he open doors? You know, the Trevathans shared Matthias, Matthias, Matthias. As they were praying and going, where, God? Who? who? We don't know anybody here. We can't speak the language. I'd laugh when she said, Frau, Frau, Frau. Yeah, Trevathan. But God provided one, provided a first kid, if you will, or one of the first ones. And we can, we can make a welcome for them. That's what I want you to hear today. Um, would you throw up the slide, uh, what's going on? Oh, sorry. Uh, our welcome, the, white, the two white slides, my bad. Let's make a welcome. This is my invitation to us. Let's make a welcome. We talked about last week, we can't create or manufacture community. We're not here to do the latest methods on church growth or anything. What we want to be is a healthy church. We want to be an embassy 
of ambassadors. We want to be with one another and send one another out. We want to be with one another and send you out and send you to, to sign a 15-year lease in Austria and to send you to Fayetteville and to send you to your neighborhood. And so we can cultivate it. We just can't create it or manufacture it. But what does that look like, the next one? Where and how? Well, I just simply want to say, let's make a welcome for newcomers and for our neighbors. Here, I mean physically now at this place, and at your home. We want to step up our welcome here where I on purpose had those pictures. Um, Y'all were in like 22 years old or something in this one picture. I don't know if you saw it. They were part of our core families, Chris and Brittany. And to see God take someone who's a first-timer, a newcomer, to being a, a, a fully deployed disciple-making ambassador. And it's a thrill for us. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy for us. Success for us is not 700 people in this room, but it's the crazy idea that a few people in here might think, you know what, God's given me, you know, the people he's given me, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to represent him where I am. And, and we're going to move from being newbies to being fully deployed. And, but we want to, again, we want your help in helping provide the welcome. And then we want to be more intentional and even add some structure and system so that we can more folks can know this is a place for them to belong and then be trained and be sent, even if they don't leave just being sent on a day-to-day basis. And then at home, we'll talk about this more next week, but in a culture of outrage, hostility, and isolation, hospitality. Um, That's the young adults at our house a couple weeks ago. Um, Man, we love having, I see a couple of you guys back there. We love having them in our home. And uh, they're all put together. They're way cooler than we are. They, They put up with us in the Kaufman's. But um, one guy is here. You, y'all don't know this, but I want you to know it. Um, in terms of welcome, there are two college students who came here on their own this summer. One became a Christian at Arizona, University of Arizona. And when he came back to Allen, he said, I just became a believer. I need to go to a church that teaches the Bible. And he showed up here almost every week. And multiple, multiple, multiple of you couples and families welcomed him. His name's Liam. And another one's right back there, Adam. He's the one right there um, at our, our uh, island. And I loved, Adam, you encouraged me so much because um, he, I think he happened on, he, go, he went to the hidden gym. He rides a scooter because he's here as a, an, an internship for the summer. Didn't have transportation really except the scooter and got here and I think that's how you saw our building. And he came in and you guys welcomed him so well. So much so that it, what encourages me was, was he told me a couple weeks ago, hey, my last Sunday will be. How many of us even have that expectation? Well, I'll be there every Sunday, you know. We're not a attendance monitoring. Don't hear that. What I want you to hear is, is that you made a welcome for those couple of folks. And I could go on and on. Let's just multiply that. Let's be a people where they go, what is going on with that group of people? And why in the world are they welcoming me? And then may the power of the gospel be beautified through our loving of God, one another, and those who aren't yet part of us. 
Would you pray with me? And um, we're going to stand and have a benediction and be adjourned. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are our help in ages past, but you're our hope for years to come. And no matter if we're in a good place or a stormy blast, you are our anchor and our eternal home. And Lord, we want to make this place more home for people who aren't here. Not because we want to fill a stat sheet, but because they're people. They're people starving for someone to take notice. Someone to say, you matter enough to me that I want to stop and listen. And Lord, and through our listening, through our patience, through our invitation, use us to represent the beautiful person, the powerful person, the merciful and gracious person of your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand and I'm going to give you these two notes. Um, There's a slide that says this group of people. Um. Or what's with this group of people? Uh, many years ago, when I said we want to go from newcomer or first-timer to fully deployed, um, at another church, I was a young adults pastor, and this guy stumbled in our door. When I say stumbled, like he was a large man, so it was hard to miss him. But we started to invite him to stuff, and he, he thought we were weird, but eventually he folded in. But this is what he said. I want you to hear this. He said, y'all are the luncheonest, breakfast-eatingest, grabbing coffee togetherest group of people I've ever seen. I'm telling you, to be his church is to be glad with one another, to love one another, and just welcome other people in. That guy ended up either rededicating his life or maybe trusting Christ and and growing in Christ. In fact, he became one of the core, he and his wife became one of the core families here. And the last one, um, we asked for tattles. I want you to be encouraged, like, what could you do at home, at table. Um, the Farnhams, you got tattled on. John and Lauren <laughs> said, I've seen the Farnham family faithfully serving Christ uh, with Christ-like attitudes and actions by opening up their house every week this summer to host kids from their elementary school to swim, play, fellowship, and share a meal together. It was a great model of a servant heart to all the kids and families. You can make a welcome. I can make a welcome, and it makes an eternal difference. Our benedictions from Philemon 6 and 7. It's about the church in Colossae. It's what Paul prays for them. And um, I'm going to read this over you. I pray that the fellowship of your faith, of our faith, may become effective. It literally means energizing. Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in y'all's love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brothers and sisters. Have a great week and make a welcome and keep your eyes open.